Welcome to Practical Christian Living. You're not in this for five years. You're not in this for a year. You're not in this for a sprint. You're in this for your lifetime. We want to serve God, love Him, and follow Him the rest of our lives. We make a commitment now, and we know that we make it forever. And if you can't do that, then don't make the commitment. Know that this is a new lifestyle. This is a lifestyle of being filled with the Holy Spirit, having your spirit quickened to life. Scripture tells us to count the cost before inviting Christ into your life. To understand that the commitment you make is for now until eternity. Our walk with Christ thereafter thrives by holding on to God's promises, by enduring the trials and maturing our faith. We're in Hebrews chapter 6. Here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Faith is trusting in the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the, by the Word of God. You can't, have, you can't have faith without the Word of God. God gives you a promise. It's got to be a real promise from God. I can tell you, thus says the Lord, you know, God wants you to, I don't know, have an ice cream cone when you walk outside. And you could say, oh, I'm going to get one of those. And you may believe it confidently. But you walk outside, you're going to be really disappointed because you put your faith in what Robert Furrow said. Even though Robert Furrow said, thus says the Lord, didn't mean it was God. But God's promises, you can hang faith on it. You can go, God's going to get this done. He's going to do it. And so as we are going through life and we are looking ahead to eternity, as we are thinking of our death, as we are thinking of our life here and now and the sacrifices that we make as Christians, we are saying, I am going to, through faith, trust in God's word and then through patience because God doesn't bring it about immediately. And by doing those, we inherit God's promises, all the, all the promises of God's word. Now, I hate that in that I have to be the bearer of bad news because some of you guys are like, I've been waiting a while and I still don't have it. Well, listen to the example that he uses that we are to be imitators of. He says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could not swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. So when God made a promise to Abraham, there's a few things connected to the promise. Go to the land that I will show you and I will give it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be like the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Okay, the Bible tells us that in other places cannot be counted. So we can't calculate how many descendants of Abraham there are, both from Ishmael and from, from Isaac, the Jewish people and much of the Arab people come from Ishmael or Isaac. So there's a vast number of them. And then he said, and one of your seed, one of your descendants is going to bless all nations, which is a promise we read back in Genesis 12, 13, 14, somewhere around there, ish, that we know has become true because we're in the nation of America, in the state of Arizona, in the city of Tucson, and we have been blessed by Jesus, the seed of Abraham. And so God swore by himself. And we saw that. We saw that when we were studying Ezekiel 36 and 37 and some of the other passages where God talks about Israel. God says, I take an oath. I will bring them back into the land. We now have Israel as a nation. And God said, I take an oath. 
And when God takes an oath, it's going to happen. And so God gave his word that can be trusted. Hopefully you could trust my word. As a pastor of 36 years, if I told you I was going to do something and didn't do it, that'd be a drag, wouldn't it? Robert told me he was going to do that and he didn't do it. You'd be, you'd be really let down. But here's the thing. I could get, you know, I could say I'm going to do, I'll, I'll meet you next week. And then I, I could get sick. I could have a flat tire and break my thumb changing it. Have to go to the hospital, whatever, you know. There's all kinds of things out of my control, but there's nothing out of God's control. So when God makes you a promise, God brings that promise to pass. That's the point. God could swear by no one greater. Tells us nobody's greater than God, right? And so he swore by himself. Doesn't mean that he went, I swear to God, which would be, you don't, don't want to do that, okay? Doesn't mean he said it, but he swore by himself. I give you an oath. I will bring this to pass. And then he said, saying, surely blessings I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now, there's the, there's the example. He says, be imitators of those who through faith and patience receive the promises. And then he gives us the example of Abraham who received the promise from God at 75 years old, who, who patiently waited until he was 100 years old and then had Isaac born to him. And by the way, in the middle of it, had a lapse of faith, who was called our father of faith, whose wife, Sarah, 10 years younger than him, said, take my handmaiden, Hagar, and have a child through her. Sarah was like, I'm done with all this. I think she did that when he was somewhere around 90. She's somewhere around 80. Here, take my handmaiden. I'm done with all this. And Abraham's like, okay. That's our great example. Now, it reveals to us that the heroes of the Bible are not always heroes. God paints them warts and all. That, that we know when we struggle, we're just like them and they're just like us. He waited. He waited so long that when God finally came to him and told him, you're going to, this time next year, you're going to have a son. Abraham was like, oh, just let Ishmael live before you. Ishmael at this point is like 13 years old. Oh, just let Ishmael live before you. God said, no, no. But through Sarah, the world will be blessed. The promise is going to come through the child from Sarah. And so the Lord came to visit him a year before. He said, by this time next year, your wife Sarah is going to have a child. She's 89 years old. He's 99 years old. And she's in the tent. He's entertaining the Lord and two angels. What we know now is the Lord and two angels. I assume they appeared like men. I assume the Lord there is, is Yahweh in the form of Jesus. Okay, those are just assumptions I'm making as I look at that text. And he says, this time next year, your wife Sarah is going to have a child. She's inside the tent and she laughs. And the Lord says to Abraham, why'd your wife laugh? And Sarah from inside the tent says, I didn't laugh. <laughs> but when that child was born, by the time, they, by a year later, she named him Isaac, which is laughter. Because she laughed when the child was born. And people probably laughed with her because there she is, that old lady pregnant, walking around. I can't believe she's pregnant. Look at that old lady having a baby. He waited all that time from 75 to, to 100, for 25 years. He patiently waited, but he received the promise of God. So the Bible tells us in Galatians, 
Don't grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap if you do not faint. So you may not receive it. You may be right on the cusp of receiving it, but you faint. You give up. You, you don't patiently wait and obtain the promise. And I love how verse 15 is so short, but it covers that entire span. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For man indeed, verse 16, for man indeed swore, for men indeed swear by greater, and an oath for confirmation, if for an end of all disputes. So Jesus said not to do this, right? So the writer of Hebrews is just telling us people swear. When someone says, you're lying, no, I swear. That's what he's saying. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. When I was a young Christian in my early teens, we had the term truth as a Christian. So we can lie to one another unless they said truth as a Christian. Then you had to tell the truth. So that's what we did. Truth, truth as a Christian? No, I'm lying. Not truth as a Christian. But here it's saying that's exactly what he's saying. He says, thus, God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise. So who does he want to show? He wants to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise. Okay, he's writing to, to Hebrews who have many promises made to the Jewish people. And he's wanting to show to the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed by an oath. Immutability simply means unchangeable. God wanted to show to those that inherited promises that God is unchangeable. That once he makes a promise, he's not going to go, no, I'm not going to give it to you. Promises he made to Israel, he's not going to go, no, I'm going to give it to the church. And here I speak of a, the doctrine of, of um, uh, replacement theology. God's not going to do that. He's immutable. He's not going to change. When he tells us something, it's going to happen. You might have to wait for it, but it's going to happen. And then it says, in which it is impossible for God to lie. Not only the immutability of God that God can't change, but it's impossible for God to lie. God cannot tell a lie. George Washington could, Abraham Lincoln could, but God can't. That by two immutable things, by two unchangeable things, it is impossible for God to lie that he might have strong consolation who have fled the refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. So that God is unchangeable and he took an oath and he cannot lie those two immutable things so that you and I can hang on to the hope that we have in Christ forever into eternity. Verse 19, this hope, the hope that we have is an anchor of our soul. It is the means by which we anchor ourselves to, to God. That we would know that we can follow him forever. What is an anchor used for? An anchor in a ship. An anchor is used when a ship needs to remain in the same place, maybe because they're fishing or they're doing some work. But an anchor becomes most useful in the middle of a storm. You try to get someplace where the water's semi-smooth. If there's an island, you want to get behind the island from the wind, the direction the wind's coming in, and you set your anchor down. And that anchor holds you into the ground because it's never more dangerous for a ship on the water than, than when there's a storm. And unfortunately, our lives are full of storms. And he, Christ, he, God, this unchangeable God who cannot lie, 
is the anchor for our soul, for the hope that we have. Both sure and steadfast, it won't be moved. It's a good, solid anchor. Sometimes anchors give way. Sometimes anchors give way in storms. They get drug along the bottom. But he is sure and he is steadfast, of which enters the presence behind the veil. Now we're told who the anchor is. He's talking about Jesus Christ. It's not just Judaism. It's not the law. The law is good, Paul said, but it's weak in that it cannot save. But the one who is the anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. Now, what, what is that? That's, it's talking about the law. It's talking about something that happens in the law that once a year, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the high priest would sacrifice an animal, pull back this veil. This veil is like six inches thick and 30 feet high and 15 feet wide. And he would push back that veil and he would enter in. Have you ever heard somebody say that you tie, they tied a rope to him and he had bells on the end of his thing and if he died in there, they drug him out? By the way, not true. That's a, I'm, I'm going to call those preachers myths. And I bet if you go back and look at my passages on that section of scripture about that, I bet I tell you a preacher's myth there because there was a time I, I told that account. There are things that just, meh, sometimes, sometimes preachers just copy because they heard other preachers say them, by the way. And so he's go, but, but it is Jesus who goes behind the veil. Now, how can he go behind the veil? If you are Hebrew, if you are from Israel, if you know the law, then you know he can't go behind the veil. Why? Because he's not of Levi. He's not of the descendants of Aaron. He's not a priest. There were examples in the Old Testament of kings. Jesus is a king who wanted to go and give sacrifices. Do you remember Uzziah? Remember Isaiah saying, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Uzziah went to go enter in and give a sacrifice in the altar, from the altar into the temple. And God struck him with leprosy. And Uzziah was a good king, by the way. I think Isaiah was probably struck that he did that. It's interesting. There's no king that was a priest. You search the Old Testament through the law, you'll never find any of the kings of Israel who were priests. But Jesus is a king and a priest and a prophet. You never found a king, priest, prophet in the Old Testament. Well, you did find one, but he wasn't Jewish. He wasn't from Israel. It says where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus so Jesus is our forerunner that has sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. The mercy seat it was behind that veil. The Ark of the Covenant was there. At some point it was taken away and I, I assume they sprinkled blood on the ground. But the top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. Two angels. You guys have all seen Indiana Jones, I assume. Maybe not. Maybe it's too long ago now. Maybe you youngsters out there are like, no, and see that dumb movie. When they discovered Jesus was gone, the morning they discovered his empty tomb, there were two angels and his grave clothes in the middle, bloody grave clothes in the middle. That was like the mercy seat in Technicolor. And it says, Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. This, Melchizedek, we've talked about. If you want to you learn about him, I've got a whole study called Who is Melchizedek? 
You just look it up, okay? But understand, you're talking to people from Israel. You're talking to Jewish people. You're talking to people who live the law. And now the writer of, of Hebrews is telling them it's not by the law anymore. It's not Aaron. That's the law. Aaron going and giving the sacrifice. But it's this Gentile Melchizedek who Jesus is the, because he's from the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Levi, he has to be from him. And this would be like anathema to certain Jews. They would read this and they would cringe. A Gentile is going to pull back the veil and go back for us? He has to be from the tribe of Aaron. And now they want to go back to the temple they want to go give sacrifices again. They want to go and have Aaron go, the descendants of Aaron go and represent him. And the writer of Hebrews is going, are you out of your mind? You have the anchor of our hope, the anchor of our soul and the hope that we have who pulls back the veil and, and gave the sacrifice later on, spoiler alert, for Hebrews, who did it once. He's going to say, He's going to tell you several things about the, the high priest. He dies. Now we have a high priest who doesn't die. You have a high priest who dies now, but you want to go back to a high priest that dies? You want to go back to a high priest that has to give the gift over and over and over and over and over again when you have a high priest that gave the gift once and for all? You want to walk away from this? So you could go back to that which is good. Okay, I'm not saying the law is bad. It's good, but it's weak. It can't save you. But Jesus saved you. I'll end with the analogy, an analogy that I heard first of all and, and probably did it the best from a, a preacher by the name of J. Vernon McGee. If you guys remember J. Vernon, how many of you here are familiar with the J. Vernon? And, and, and may I say to you, my friends, the only temple that Solomon had was on the side of his head. That's J. Vernon McGee, if you've never heard him before. He sounded like a real country guy. He taught all the way through the Bible. PhD. Just off the charts smart. But you couldn't tell by the way he talked <laughs> that he was that smart. So he said, the law is like a mirror. It shows you you're in trouble. When I wake up in the morning, first thing I do is I go and I look in the mirror and I grab a brush. Because at one point my wife said to me, can't you just run a brush through your hair? I'm walking around all morning doing the stuff I do. My hair's like, wank. And she's like, run a brush through it. My name is Robert Leroy. When my hair's sticking up like that, she calls me Leroy. Oh, look, Leroy's here. She's got that name for me. When I walk around my hair, like, wank. So I look in the mirror and I see, whoa. And I do, I look in the morning, I'm like, you know, comb it back. But the mirror can't fix you. That's the example that Paul used for the law. The law is good, but it's weak. It's like a mirror. Don't tell a lie. Don't lie. I lie. Don't steal. I steal. But the mirror can't help you after you've stolen. Everybody here has stolen. Everybody here has lied. Everybody here has lusted after someone. And so Ray Comfort would say, you're a lying, thief, adulterer at heart. Everyone in here. There's no one that's not. Now God judges you, guilty or innocent. Well, by the law, 
guilty. That's why they had lambs die to point to the lamb who would die. And here's what J. Vernon McGee says. The law is a mirror, but Jesus, and he uses the word wash basin. I say to you, my friends, the law is a mirror, but Jesus is the wash basin. I would say he's the sink. <laughs> we wash up, we clean up. That's Jesus. Without him, we can't get things together. And then we look back in the law and we go, I, I'm no longer a lying thief, adulterer at heart because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I am completely and totally forgiven by him. That's the anchor of our soul. And that's why we run the race to the end. That's getting it back in the context. You can't take this away from the context, right? It would be great to take that passage. That's the section people memorize. And that's what you want to look at. But now we know, hey, this is why we run the race to the end. This is why we don't give up. This is why we make it all the way to the end. So we can receive the promises that God has for us. And don't grow weary in doing well so you can receive it. So you don't grow faint and miss out because you make it to the end. If you don't make it to the end, you die and you're not there. Maybe because you never really had it. So you want to make sure you have it. And if there's any question today that you are not really genuinely saved, then I'm going to encourage you to give your life to Christ out of just sincerity. Say to him, I want you in my life. Cause my spirit to be born again that I might interact with you. Do your work within me. Change me. Transform me. You don't have to do anything. You say, well, I'll come to Jesus, but I need to, I need to repent. I need to pull some things. You don't need to do nothing. And so someone will say, because there's that, there's that um, argument out there on the internet that you have to repent before you can get saved. So people are going to go, listen to Robert preaching easy believism. No, when you come to Christ, because you're transformed, then you have repented. There's changes that take place. You don't repent to, you don't take a shower to take a bath. Or you don't take a bath to take a shower. You come to him in faith, receiving him, and it transforms you so that you are now land that bears fruit, herbs, and good things towards men and are blessed instead of thorns and thistles and on the edge of being cursed and burned. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for what we find here in this chapter. It really is greatly encouraging, and we really do want to endure to the end. And Lord, we know that we are kept by faith, so we put our, kept by you in faith, so we put our trust in you and you keep us, that you saved us, and that we cannot keep our, ourselves in faith, but you have to keep us in faith. So Lord, we pray that we would heed these warnings hanging on to you, knowing that we will endure because the anchor of our hope has prevailed, gone behind the veil, our high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Thank you so much for what's been revealed here. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse -verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. 
For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to dig deeper in your walk with God? Then you are a great fit for REACH College with enrollment opportunities. To attend as a student or an auditor, the courses challenge you to analyze your way of thinking as you grow in your walk with Jesus. Find out more at thereachcollege.org. That is thereachcollege.org.